Welcome back, Kofkin Bond podcast listeners, to number 23. We are going through them, actually, and we're getting them out on that weekly rotation, and it's been since uh, February that we started this, Tony, so it's been a while. It's been very exciting, you know, and uh, on Saturday night, bumping into Tommy Jackett uh, from the Daily Podcast Talk Show down Chapel Street. Yep. He's the king of podcasts, and he gave me the nickname Big T, and, you know, it was actually interesting having a chat to him, and they're up to episode, I think, 400. Wow. Uh, so we're at episode 23, but, you know, watch out, Tommy, we're coming for you, mate. <laughs> Definitely. Look, before we start, I wanted to touch on um, Monday night. By people following our socials, they would have seen that we caught up with some of the centres of influence that we work with, accountants, lawyers, exit planners, um, some other financial planners that we actually work closely with. Um, but we had a great discussion, I guess, about what's going on in the industry, um, some changes to our industry, but also the way that we all work together. Um, we have some great partners that a lot of our clients would be aware of and that they're actually working with. But we were talking about that overlap, if people can imagine that sort of Venn diagram where it's the three interlocking circles um, and there's that grey area in the middle where we all actually need to work together um, just for the client. Absolutely. We have the um, that interlocking grey area and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about estate planning or whether we're talking about taxation um, or whether we're talking business about planning. financial planning and business planning. Um, there is that interlocking circle where all three uh, areas do work together. So, you know, estate planning, what are the tax consequences if someone dies? Um, do they have to face those potential negative tax consequences if they die or if things are set up correctly? Uh, can they avoid that? So we do, as you know, a lot of intergenerational wealth transfer where we have to work with lawyers. Uh, we have our own, you know, specialist lawyer that we work with, but having this stuff set up properly to be able to make sure that we our why happens that is the right amount of money to the right person at the right time tax effectively yeah which is that last part you put in yeah which which you know that's that's on our door forever now jamie yeah you know we, we i guess we don't want our clients always thinking a tax return is the greatest way to invest um, no, all, not at all. But, but when structuring things that tax needs to be taken into account oh, you, you never invest based on trying to get a tax return no. you, you invest based on is this a good investment that's right. and then secondly if it has tax benefits to it or if you can structure it in such a way they'll have a tax benefit to it. So, you know, if you take property as an example, besides the fact that it's in such a low interest rate environment, it's hard to negative gear, there's, there's nothing wrong with property as an investment. I actually quite like it, as you know. I'm a, bit, a big advocate of it. But you have that negatively geared or, you know, and then you've got capital gains tax at half your capital ga- at personal tax rate in the future. Or, you know, you can have it in your super fund. If you sold over age 60 when you, you know, you allocate a pension phase, Capital gains tax is zero, and if you want tax deductions, well then contribute up to twenty five thousand into your super fund. There's the best tax deductions because all the money's working for you. Yeah, you know, so, well, got... less fifteen percent, but yeah. all the money's. I was, I was explaining that to a friend. I think some people, you know, they sort of say, "Oh, why would I put in super? I can't touch it till I'm sixty five. But you know, looking for tax deductions elsewhere. Yeah, know, instead of paying it's, that it's, to it's, the tax it's man, crazy. You, you know, you're actually paying it to yourself. Yeah, I know you can't touch it for a while, but you know, it's better you than any investment it. property. You're not going to touch it for a while, are no, you? You, you tend on actually drawing the income from it. Yeah. You know, later on in so yeah, it's it's just it's it's that thought process of at least having access to it. Whereas when you put it in superannuation, you don't have access to it until retirement. 
but the way I see it, you know, there's nothing like four savings to end up with a huge nest egg. No, that's correct. So, look, Monday was great. Um, the feedback, again, was fantastic. But it is sometimes just nice to take partners and work out just, just to catch up, really. Yeah, um, there's I mean, 14 of us there. And, you know, the only person who didn't drink the red wine or eat all the food was me because I was doing most of the most talking. Of the talking. <laughs> yeah. so, so, Don't worry, I, I, I held the both of us. But I know the restaurant was magnificent. <laughs> so, so. Um, moving on. So today we want to talk about leadership and management. Um, first name I put down was Trent Cochin, but you said we're going to go a bit further than that. We're actually going to talk about you know, a great leader. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, in all fairness to you, I only said that because he's a Richmond man, but he is a great leader. Yeah. Um, he's done a lot of work with Brene Brown, who I know Boyana's actually done her course yep. um, in respect to leadership and things like that as well. So, you know, he is without a doubt a great leader. He's just at the wrong football club. Fantastic. I just had to get that one in before we started. Okay. But, you know... I guess there it's is hard a... for me to bag a person <laughs> that I still know is good just wearing the wrong colours. The great thing is today that you're going to actually touch on a lot of books that you've read um, and a lot of people that have been influenced by, like, that are, that talk discussed in those books um, yeah. and a lot of books that you're actually hoping that I read in the near future, which I'll definitely get on to. Um, but I'm sort of going to leave it over to you and I'm going to ask those questions in between. Um, but I'm also going to discuss, I think, in between how I see leadership within Kofk and Bond um, and the way that we've grown and developed. And I think the way that we want to have leadership built within our firm um, and continue that way. So I'll, I'll oh, Especially as we go up to 100-odd employees. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Um, and I think it's important to keep that, that feel that we have at the moment going that entire time. So that's sort of where the discussion will lead today. Um, but where do you want to start it off, Tony? Well, I think there's... I mean, I know the topic is leadership and management, but realistically, what's the contrasting distinction between both leadership and management? So we won't start there, but I think let's break it down into, you know, so for example, two different types. So there's what I call leaders of industry. So if you've got... Uh, people that you admire who are potential leaders of industry, so might be CEOs or chairman of company. We've got, you know, there's really famous people like Jack Welsh who uh, grew GE to at one stage the largest company in the world. There's, uh, you know, people like Richard Branson uh, who we've all heard of, you know, with Virgin, uh, Virgin Airlines, Virgin Records, Virgin Health, Health Clubs, Clubs. Uh, so a whole range, Virgin everything. They even had Virgin Cola once upon a time where the bottle was actually uh, trademarked as Pamela Anderson's figure. So great marketing. It's <laughs> so, so magnificent marketing. And then, of course, there's leaders of people. You know, and, and my, as, as you know, somebody who I greatly admire, uh, even you could say have a crush on, but Oprah Winfrey um, is a leader of people, just uh, outstanding. And these people, you know, when you have great leaders of people who have come from... Basically, if you think of her age, where she's come from, uh, being an African-American female, survivor of sexual abuse, to be the most amazing inspirational leader of people is just mind-blowing. So I think there's two distinctions there, leader of industry versus leader of people. Yeah, and, um, and so when, when did you start to, I guess, start to focus on these people and, and study those different types? Um, and where did you get the, I guess, where did Oprah first come across and where did you start to sort of really get engaged there? Um, if we start leaders of industry first, yeah. so I, I think um, with Dad being involved in business, uh, and he, he was a natural leader of people, he was a very soft man, when I say soft, I mean softly spoken, yeah. um, he was inspirational, he always, you know, the, there was never anything negative that came out of his mouth. Um, so I think, I think I was blessed in having a father who was a leader by example. 
So he w it wasn't a case of, you know, do as I say, not as I do. With him, it was a case of, you know, do as I do. So he, he we would, I grew into the young man I am, to, well, into the man I am today. And, you know, my sister had such a wonderful male role model in my father. So I think he was a leader of people, certainly wasn't a leader of industry in any way. He had a few staff members. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, I think that was part of the grounding. And then through that, I suppose, I've been really privileged to have great leaders in my life when I've started my working career. Um, and people who, you know, and then from that, they've got me reading about other inspirational well, you, people. You so actually brought in one of the first leaders that you met in the industry. Um, you Robin, actually introduced him to your staff about a year ago, yeah, about a year and a half ago. So Robin would be 82 years old. So yeah. Robin, uh, actually, if I can go back one before that, uh, yeah. Ron Irwin, Mr. Irwin. Uh, Ron, I, you know, well, I've never ever called him Ron to his face. Um, he's passed away last year. Um, but... Mr. Irwin took me under his wing as a young 18-year-old uh, when he was the managing director of Australasia for Drake, and he founded Drake here in Australia. Um, and Drake was the largest uh, personnel company or recruitment company in the world. He worked for a guy by the name of Bill Pollock, uh, who, fa who founded Drake. Um, and Ron was the most amazing leader um, that I've ever come across. And bearing in mind, I was 18, I was naive, I didn't know anything. And you know one of my goals in here as we grow to having 100 employees is that I want to know everyone's name. I never want to be that boss who says who's that person and where do they work. You know, So I actually want to know these people. And I think that's one of the differences of being an entrepreneurial leader. And Mr. Irwin was exactly the same. I think there was probably about 350, 400. Actually, I think Australia-wide there were about 500 employees. Um, at Drake and and where were you working at that time I was in the mailroom you couldn't get any lower than where I was and I got shown around and that's when there was actual mail to deliver you didn't press enter so do you know what a letter is yeah, yeah. you actually write on it and put it in and you used to send checks in by mail oh, and I've had a check or two in my life yeah but it's uh, you know the old age oh sorry about that the check is in the mail when it never was <laughs> so it's uh, but the with with Mr. Irwin, it was it was really quite interesting from day one that I was there, and he he had this thing that every new employee in the Melbourne office, uh, he would take out for lunch, um, including this naive eighteen year. In actual fact, I was seventeen. I'd finished year twelve, but I was actually uh, decided I wasn't going to go to uni. I was doing my sport, um, and he brought me to the long room, the MCC, for lunch, and. That was quite amazing to the point where I actually didn't have a blazer. So he actually went downstairs. We were in six, level 16, 35 Collins Street. He went downstairs, bought me a blazer and took me to lunch. Um, and because I was probably about a foot taller than him. So it's, uh, but we, we went there and he was just so engaged in wanting to know about me. And, and geez, you know, it's... um get someone who likes to talk to talk about themselves, including me, they just never shut up. He wanted to know about my sporting background and what my desires are and what my goals are and what I wanted to do, you know, and, um, and where, what my dreams were and what my passions were. And, and that engaged, and I, I started speaking about sport. He loved sport. At the time, Drake was sponsoring Melbourne Football Club. They were also sponsoring uh, the Swimming Mean Machine, which um, I did have a crack at the year after. No, it wasn't good enough, but, you know, tried to get in the 4 by 100 freestyle relay team. But he was just so inspirational about 
you know, you have to follow your dreams. And he ended up becoming my biggest sponsor as a professional triathlete when I went and traveled the world. And he, he taught a young 18 year old that anything is possible. And when you're 18, you know, my father would have been saying the exact same stuff. I just never listened to him. But when Mr. Irwin was saying it, you know, that was, he was just absolutely amazing. So I was blessed to have him as my first real boss. Yeah. And, and I didn't report to him by any means, you know, so, but he was just this wonderful human. Um, and then when I joined this industry, Robin Daubeny, who, you know, Robin would be 83 now. Uh, but Robin was my first uh, boss at National Mutual and just the most amazing, successful man, such a positive person. And you just, you just couldn't, he, he was my inspiration to start reading. Uh, the first book, actually, Mr. Irwin gave me a book, uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Pretty much the first book that I give to everyone when they start work here. Um, you know, so just think about your dreams and grow. And, you know, that, that was amazing, you know, written by Napoleon Hill, who was engaged by probably the greatest um, industrialists uh, a business builder of all time and Andrew Carnegie and what he got Napoleon Hill to do was to go and interview all these other amazing industrialists and amazing people to find out what their secret to success was and a lot of that had to do with belief uh, positivity and belief and things like that so he just said that we're all going to die you need to get all their knowledge and put it in a book and I think it's you know one of the still one of the besides the bible one of the best selling books of all time um so he taught me to read. Uh, Robin got me to read uh, the book uh, by Dale Carnegie, no relation to Andrew, but um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I think I had you read yeah, on you the plane when we went to New York together. Yeah, I so said, I finally put down fiction. I read a yeah, I said, mate, oh, you're reading this book, and, he, and I think you know your comment might have been similar to mine. But oh, I've got enough friends, <laughs> so yeah. it's. Uh, but I, I think you even enjoyed that. I did. I did enjoy yeah. that one actually. That was sort of one of the first business I guess you know belief books that I sort of read yeah. um, and I did really enjoy that I think you know I followed on with a few other books that you've given me around that um, yeah. and yeah that's probably one of the ones that definitely stand out and as you said it's still one of the best sellers I think they've tried to rewrite it for the modern era yeah I didn't I read it I didn't like it I yeah, still okay. preferred the old one yeah, uh, yeah it's interesting hearing him talk about Benjamin Franklin in it yeah yeah, yeah. that's right <laughs> so no I did, I did enjoy that why book. Abraham Lincoln one of the greatest leaders of all time yeah you know so it's um so I think when you when you have a look at that and we go back to industry, I think there's a lot of people like, for example, Richard Branson. Uh, everyone knows of Richard Branson, but what a lot of people might not know is actually he had dyslexia as a kid. And he believes the reason to his success was the fact that he overcompensated due to having dyslexia and struggling to read and write. He overcompensated in other areas to actually excel in. So he saw areas that he, he could do, so he tried to do it better than anyone else. And thus, you know, one of the most successful business leaders uh, in the industrial side of modern times, uh, certainly the most well-known, he's a marketing genius. Um, so I think having leaders like him as in leaders of industry always looks, sees a new idea, likes a new idea, runs with the new idea, uh, gives it a go. So I, I think, you know, having people like him, um, you know, Steve Jobs, another one, Apple. Yeah. Um, well, this is where we sort of talk about management within a company. And yeah, yeah. So if we talk about Steve Jobs, Steve, you know, obviously I only know what I've read about him, uh, but a bit of a tyrant. Um, wasn't necessarily a liked person, uh, but what he did do, he was very creative, and he allowed people creative license in the organisation. 
So when you think of Apple today being, you know, on any given day in the top three largest companies in the world, there's a period there where Apple was huge but on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, it was about to file for bankruptcy in the US and basically Steve Jobs got sacked and I've forgotten his name but he was the head of Pepsi, uh, the sugar drinks uh, that came in and basically took control. Now, what they did was they took away all that entrepreneurial spirit that grew Apple from what it was to where it is today. They took all that out of there and basically tried to, what I call, MBA it, put it all into little boxes. It lost its creativity. And I think that's one of the saddest parts is when an entrepreneurial business grows so big that when it loses that entrepreneurial spirit because people want to streamline and all these new rules come in and all these processes come in. A lot of those processes come in to actually manage the bottom 10% of people in the organisation who are just continually not doing it correct rather than encouraging the growth of the other people. So as a company starts to grow and they lose that entrepreneurial spirit and it becomes very process driven and management driven, which we're still process driven in here, obviously. But we let people thrive and we let people come up with ideas and creativity. We've embraced you know, digi- uh, the digital world. We've embraced automation um, in our organisation. Uh, so I think when it comes to people like Steve Jobs, when he came out, Apple was on the verge of collapse. He came back in and basically, once again, he's still the same Steve Jobs, still a bit of a tyrant as a person, not necessarily would ever be your best friend. But when it came to encouraging people to think He said, I don't want necessarily to just copy things. I want us to look at something and say, we can do that better. So when you consider the marketing genius, even around things like, for example, um, simple things like the MP3 player, you know, it was called, you know, 10,000 songs in your pocket. It wasn't actually called an MP3 player because I wouldn't have a clue what that was, but it was basically 10,000 songs in your pocket. When you go to phones, you know, he changed, he changed, telecommunication in respect to how we know it. We carry more power in our pocket uh, than what was used to put man on the moon, you know, in 1969, July 1969. So that's the type of thing that if you squash that creativity in an organisation, you never grow. Um, And I, I think that's one of the saddest parts without getting into politics that I sometimes see is that they wanna control people rather than letting people flourish. And I think as companies grow, if you're going to be that successful company, that actually comes from the book, uh, great book, which I'm gonna get you to read, uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. And basically what happens is, as a company grows, people start to say, you know, this just wasn't the same company as it was 10 years ago. All those people's creative juices have got that company to that huge uh, success that it had become, all of a sudden start saying, this is just, it's lost its feel. It's not the same company anymore. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I think even in our industry, Jamie, that pro- that process-driven, you know, you, you have a look just recently um, of, you know, our dealer group, uh, when you consider that the, um, the founder, major shareholder in Count Plus, being Barry Lambert, he sold uh, Count uh, with 400 advisors to the Commonwealth Bank for 300 million and just bought it back for 2.5 million. Um, and the basis of it is it went across there and all that entrepreneurial spirit had just gone. And if you have a look at the disaster that some of, what some of these banks have actually done to our industry, where they try to vertically integrate everything, 
they've gone and said to advisors, now you use, you go and do what you do, but you only use our product, whether it's the best thing for the client or not. And sometimes it is, yeah. but you know, but whether it's the best thing for the client or not, and because we're going to make money off it that way. And I think that's where we've sort of guarded ourselves in the way that we operate. Within oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and even we just won't do that. No. Yeah. And I think, well, I guess with the management side of things, you know, we have our ways in here of doing things. Like we do. Even from, a, even from a top-down point of view, there's the open-door policy. Um, you know, sometimes it's closed, I guess, but there's certain things. But, you know, I guess everyone talks to here. We're all friends. And, and that can happen as a small company. Um, yeah. But it's as you grow, it's trying to keep that same feeling in it. Um, and a lot of the business advisory that you do with companies, um, do, yeah. a, a lot of it revolves around this as well. Um, it's amazing that, you know, people can sort of grow quickly and forget about certain things and then they get to that size where we say, you know, too big to be small or too small to be big yep. and they get into this weird period. So, you know, understanding different levels of management, different types of leadership is important to those type of people. Absolutely. And even, you know, our executive committee in here, which you're one of the three uh, that are sitting on here, all three of us have completely different personalities and different views. Um, you know, and I think that's... So when we come up with things in here, it's it hasn't just been, that sounds great, let's all do it, well, who's doing it? You know, for example, you're known for even your, and we'll give away secrets in here, but we've had, you know, our, all of our executives do personality tests. And we've done that, not to see if they're psychopaths. Um, <laughs> we're hoping they're not, because um, I'm one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, but it's more the fact that we did that to see where people's strengths and weaknesses were. And rather than trying to get people to uh, improve their weaknesses, we've got people to excel at their strengths. Yeah. And so, you, so you think I've got to stop looking at shiny things? Um, <laughs> Distractions? Yeah, <laughs> we can all get distracted by yeah. shiny things at times. Uh, but we have one of our leaders in here who does not get distracted by shiny things and puts us both back on track. Yeah. But I think that's the key is that if you take, for example, our evolution over the last 18 months, you know, we came up with the principle of DARES. Everything here must be digital, automated, recurring, evergreen and scalable. And even in our meetings, we discuss, we decide, we implement and we measure. We don't just discuss. And I think that's one of the keys is, so for example, we, we can have a project, but you will champion that project. That's your job and you will report to us each week of where we're at. And as a result, our digital platform is now up and running. We're getting sign off on another part of our digital service program. Um, at the moment so you know with legals and it's it's basically it's a case of none of that would have been done if we all had the same personality we all ha we all excel at our strengths and we really support our strengths and so in other words we might be a very a growing organization there's a growing organization we you know we keep a tight eye on cash flow you know we're upgrading our offices we're going to have a look at the new build today yeah, putting the hard hats on today have to put the hard hat on to go to go and have a look at it so it's um but no, that, that's all exciting stuff, but it can't be done if all you do is discuss. So you actually, it's still as an entrepreneurial business, you still need people to actually implement things. And that's where, you know, I know I work really well with clients, so I do that. In respect to running the day-to-day -day operation of the business, that's your role. You do that. You take on the big projects and you're the implementer and then you'll follow up with whoever needs to be followed up on. And, you know, so we, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses, but... 
you don't necessarily try to improve your weaknesses, you work on your strengths. Yeah. I learned that through sport, you know that through sport, you hate running, so you're good at actually finding, <laughs> spot, finding spots out in the open in the football yeah, field. There's plenty <laughs> of shortcuts to find out there. Tony, yeah. before we finish, um, the last thing, we saw, it was actually interesting, we had a new staff member today and we went around three things about ourselves, but yes. I want to put a bit of a different one on you. Three books for listeners to read. What, what would you be your top three in regards to leadership and management? I know you've read a lot, but let's have three. In management or three books in general? Uh, general. Okay, so as you know, I don't read fiction. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's um, my imagination goes wild enough as it is without having to read about a book. So it's uh, reading in a book. But I think for um, people who own businesses, whether they're managing half a dozen people or managing 400 people or one of our clients, 1,500 uh, I think I think the book uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins is a magnificent book. You know, even as a small business, I think you learn so much about uh, a, a small business that wants to grow. I think that is a magnificent book to read. Um, obviously, Napoleon Hill thinking Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. It's just an all time classic. Yep. You know, it's um, for me that that is just an absolute all time classic. How to Win Friends and Influence People. They were the first two books I was ever given to read. Um, I think they are magnificent. But I also think, and you might remember his name because I gave it I gave it a book to all the staff in here, but I've forgotten the it's name of the author. Guide. The Traveller's Guide. I can't remember the author either. What's the author's name? Uh, we'll have to put it on the link if that's okay, Willard, in our <laughs> podcast. But I thought The Traveller's Guide was a great book. Okay. Uh, I thought that was a really inspirational book. I'm reading... Um, um, two books at the moment by uh, Robert Greene, uh, which are also tremendous. One is called Seduction. Um, sure, so sure, it's not fiction. No, <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually it's actually more about how people's brains work. <laughs> so it's um, people's brains work, and it gives real life examples. Uh, and the power of uh, the power of habit was another one which I've actually just given to Josh to read yep. about creating good habits as well. So, yeah, I. I Sometimes I could might be reading two or three books at once, uh, different types of books depending on which moods I'm in. But I, I would suggest whether you're in business or not, or even if you're an employee or you're just a uni student or even a school kid, I think Think and Grow Rich because by Napoleon Hill, it's just about having a great positive mindset uh, to be able to get the best out of everything you want. So um, actually, actually, there's... Um, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza has a great book in respect to meditation. Um, well, our, our clients now have about three years worth of reading. No, you know, <laughs> they, they say a good CEO reads 52 books a year. I'm, I'm hoping to read 26. <laughs> so it's um, The Power of Healing um, by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Really good book. Pretty heavy book, but yeah. a really good one. Robert Green books, they are heavy in detail. Uh, but I think there's a lot of other, you know, if you want to be inspired and listen to stories about great people Oprah Winfrey has a really good podcast uh, Lewis House has a magnificent podcast he's not talking like we are he actually brings in you know he brings in the Tony Robbins and people like that so uh, which uh, they all have their attributes where you might learn one two three things of each one of them and you put that into practice and I just think it's hard not to be excited about life when you bounce out of bed every morning and take that first breath. Yep, no, Tony, thank you for today. I, I guess it's, it's a bit of a different podcast than what we've been doing, yep. but we just wanted to, I guess, touch on things that 
you know, that we enjoy, that we think other people can enjoy, um, and that can help make other people, you know, grow in what they do. Um, You know, some some of it's not going to work for people, some of it might. So we just thought we'd change it up in that regard. So thank you very much for your time today. Wonderful, and thank you for asking me questions about things I'm very passionate about. (laughs) It makes it life very easy. Thank you.